points. They would often start off the first lesson uh, sharing about the conditions leading to the class. me and he, he asked, he told me that Bhante would like to invite me to have a series of classes. Uh, the first thing that came up was Heart Sutra. I thought, okay, yeah, when do you want to start? Yeah, anytime. <laughs> uh, and for those of you who have attended my class on the Heart Sutra, then you know that it revolves around Laksa. <laughs> so initially it was supposed to be the Heart Sutra. And then, uh, through some discussion, he suggested, he asked whether it's possible to have other, uh, other sutras, other texts. Because after all, I've been covering the Heart Sutra for the past 10 years. Uh, and uh, we have it running a few times a year, at this point. So he, he suggested a few texts. Uh, this is one of them. Uh, I was initially apprehensive. Yeah. I was a bit hesitant because, uh, as much as as this is about the Bodhisattva power, and I'm very comfortable with that, but it's a, a new text that I uh, not so perhaps uh, like my teacher didn't cover it. Uh, but there was. He, he came down and we have a we had a chat, and then um, there was this one part of the conversation that hooked me because he, he then shared with me that he, he read um, he read the the text before, and then there was one there are a lot of parables inside. Yeah. Uh, the actual text title is Ru Pusa Xingren. In the Tripitaka, in the Chinese Tripitaka, it is also called Pusa uh, Puti uh, Sing Sing. Not today. I'm trying to find uh, a reference text. Uh, I found one. Uh, I may print it up for you all next week. Yeah. Uh, I will not go line by line with 
that's a sub-commentary. Uh, if we cover the sub-commentary line by line, then it may take one or two years. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we have only 10 lessons. So this, this sutra, or this commentary rather, um, commentary text, is written by Shantideva. Yeah. He is a person who lived around uh, seven common, seven century common era. Uh, so that's about uh, 1,200 years after the Buddha. Around the time of Angajuna. Uh, around the time of Tang Dynasty, maybe, maybe this will give you a better reference. Yeah. Um, and it was then that he he wrote this uh, commentary or treatise, if you will. At the point when he wrote it, he was at the Nalanda University. Yeah. Uh, but that is not what hooked me. Yeah. What hooked me was when Ling Kai said about and then he mentioned one parable, uh, and he gave me a shock or a goosebump. Yeah, he mentioned about how uh, the this whole text goes on into the Bodhisattva path, and one of the example given was about uh, with reference to liberating all sentient beings. There was an example about shoes yeah about shoes that instead of covering the whole world uh, you just wear shoes something like that um, you cannot remember the exact verses yeah, you can remember, yeah, I can remember something. something like that yeah. uh, the interesting thing is that I'm not a very learned monk so I never read this text before so but when he told me this I remember that I ever give this example before. Oh, so that was like, really? <laughs> uh, but the example may not be 100% match, to be fair. Uh, and even if it's 100% match, it could well be explained in many other ways. It could be that different people arrive at the same conclusion or at the same example um, separately, you know, without any connection whatsoever. Uh, the example I gave is uh, this. In fact, I may have first gave the example over here, or if not in Kongsing Sun. Uh, so, for example, is it comfortable sitting over here? Say yes. Of course, yes. Because huh? you have a nice cushion and you have nice carpet. Uh, if you were to, if we were to ask you to walk out in the streets, especially on the tarmac, the road itself, at 1 p.m., which is where the sun is right on top. Yeah? Would it be comfortable? Not so comfortable, is it? Worry, <laughs> 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 everything is under control. Just for some special effect. No, I was just dripping it so I don't have to bend down. And so, consider this. Uh, it shows that you are all very absorbed in the talk. <laughs> so, uh, what if uh, you have to walk barefooted outside, but you want to have 
to continue to have this comfort of the of the carpet. Then what you can do is carpet wherever you want to walk. Yeah, this is what we call the red carpet treatment. Yeah. <laughs> Today in today's modern society, when you have the red carpet treatment, we look at it as a status symbol. That is a VVIP. Yeah. But in ancient times, uh, it it is also significant of that, but it's also significant that it makes it very comfortable to walk in, yeah? uh, even if you are walking barefooted. Yeah? But of course, even today, if you have nice carpet to walk around, it's still very comfortable. But how many of you can afford to like lay carpet everywhere you go? Raise your hand. Well, I thought so. <laughs> Nobody. Uh, so one way around that is perhaps you can cut pieces of of the carpet. Yeah? Maybe <laughs> two pieces. Just two pieces. Yeah? Minimum two pieces. So you step on one piece, you lay the next one, you step over the, the second one, you pick up the and so on. Yeah? So you have a moving <laughs> yeah, but it'd be very tiring. So what if instead of having the two pieces moving around, maybe you tie it to your feet. Yeah? You tie it to your feet and then secure it so you can walk around with the cushion of the carpet. Or you can cut one one piece that is the size of your feet and then tie it nicely <laughs> and that's what we call an early shoe. <laughs> it is a, it is probably how shoes came about. Yeah. Uh, when I gave this example, I don't I still don't know what is the cost this is actually quite quite a long text. Huh? This is this is just the first three pages. That's thirty over pages. <laughs> so when I actually downloaded the, the Chinese text, I was like, ten weeks. Ten weeks. Hmm. Can I finish the, even the first page? <laughs> uh, okay, but let me finish up the this this part of the parable. So I I still haven't find the actual parable, so I don't know whether it's the same parable as the one I gave. But the one I gave is this. Uh, many times in life, we encounter situations that uh, is unpleasant to us. Sometimes it's situations, sometimes it's people. Yeah? Uh, if you are able to change the situation, why not? If you change the situation to fit how you like it to be, then you can be happy, you can be at ease. Or if you can convince the other person to change the way the person do things or act or speak, yeah, or even think, uh, then you, in order to fit you, then you can also be happy. Yeah. That is the usual way that we usually live our life. Yeah. Uh, that's, that seems to be quite an instinctive way, because it seems to be uh, what almost everybody at least try to do. If you do that, then that is basically the, the, the case of uh, the first attempt to carpet the whole world. Anywhere that is uncomfortable, you carpet it. Yeah. Uh, and like trying to carpet the whole world, you'll find that you cannot always carpet people. Yeah. You cannot always change how people act or speak or think. You cannot always have 
circumstances and situations go your way. Sometimes you can, but many oftentimes you can't. Uh, so instead of trying to change the world, then uh, if you want to take the other approach, take the carpet and make it into what we call a shoe today, yeah, then that is not trying to change the world. That is changing ourselves. And the carpet, in this case, the, the shoe-shaped carpet will be the Dharma yeah, uh, that helps us to manage our emotions. Yeah. And this is, to me, uh, the crux of the Buddhist approach and attitude towards uh, our interaction with the world, with people in general. Instead of trying to change the whole world, we change ourselves. Uh, but I must also highlight, if you can change, if there are some things that can be changed, and perhaps should be changed, why not? Yeah. Uh, the distinction between how we uh, do things, and perhaps the enlightened ones is, when they seek the change and transformations of, of others, of sentient beings, it is not to themselves happy. It is not to satisfy their own dreams and things. Uh, it is to to help whoever they are trying to help to change, to help them have lasting happiness, to have true happiness, to be completely free of suffering. For us, when we try to change the world, it's for us ourselves to be free of suffering. Which is not a bad thing to do, you know. When when you feel uncomfortable, you try to change it. Yeah. But one day, you may, we may realize. Yeah. I say we because sometimes I forget about this. Then I try to change it. <laughs> and being simple, then I have another. Uh, I have another challenge, another obstacle. Because being simple, I have more reasons to justify my my actions. You know, to justify why I'm. It is for your good, good. <laughs> just like our father and mother. Yeah. It's a fine line. So sometimes I catch myself. Sometimes I don't catch myself. And sometimes I genuinely believe and think that, yeah, this is really the right thing to do. Yeah. Uh, but the cultivation is not about second guessing yourself. Instead of going to a in, in passing and get immortalized. Yeah. Uh, we can only do what we, we know and think is correct. Yeah. Uh, and so we've, when I heard what Wing Fai shared, he didn't give me the full detail of the, <coughs> the parable, so I don't know whether it's, it's the same actually. But when he mentioned about shoes and then, you know, like uh, there's some similarity of Ah, and that really piqued my interest. Yeah, so here we are. Yeah, so here we are. Um, it could have been other texts, uh, but uh, this reminds me of another text which I tried to cover in 10 lessons or so, maybe 12 for that one. Sir Ta Chen I've mentioned quite a few times. 
it is uh, probably longer than this. <laughs> yeah, and I thought, hmm, let me cover that in 10 lessons. Yeah, that was many years back yeah, when I was, when I did it better. So many years later, I still don't know better. And I tried to cover this in uh, 10 lessons. Uh, so, I'll give you some background into this text. It's written by uh, Shantideva uh, Bodhisattva. Uh, uh, some texts will refer to him as Venerable Shantideva. Uh, he is a scholar. Uh, he's, if I'm not wrong, he's a Buddhist monk. Yeah. But he is most notable in the Tibetan tradition. Yeah, most notable in the Tibetan tradition. The, the Chinese today we are supposed I was hoping that we could have the visualizer yeah. uh, but the visualizer didn't arrive yeah. the visualizer person didn't arrive <laughs> is that person in the other room? <laughs> yeah. so uh, the translation in Chinese there are two translations that I I found. One is uh, in the Song Dynasty. Song Dynasty is just after Tang, yeah, which is about uh, the Song, Song translation is at about about 100 years after this was written. Yeah, around 800 common era. Yeah. The one that is more prevalent, yeah, the Chinese version that's more prevalent, is uh, based on the Tibetan version. So there are two main Chinese versions that you will find. One is called Ru Pusa Xinlun. This is the more recent version that is translated from the Tibetan version. The earlier one is called Puti Xingjing. Puti Xingjing. This is translated way back. So Shantideva, Bodhisattva. Uh, sometimes I may just refer to him as Shantideva, yeah, uh, but with, with no disrespect. Uh, his his name is translated as Jitian uh, uh, This Ji is Jitian uh, So, um, it, if you just translate that to English, then it means uh, like uh, tranquil heaven. Mm. Tranquil heaven. Shanti Deva. Yeah, Shanti Deva. Deva is, is Tian. Yeah. Actually, Deva, the word Deva itself, it means light. Then what, why is it translated as Tian, which is sky, yeah, or heaven? Because the, uh, in Indian culture, uh, even before the Buddha's time, the word light, Deva, uh, is used to describe the heavenly beings. The brightness. Yeah, yeah brightness. Yeah. So uh, this is the background of this, uh, this Dasan Guru. 
So these two translation, there are there's a major difference uh, in the number of chapters. The Song version has eight chapters. The later version, which is based on the Tibet, Tibetan uh, translation, is ten chapters. We are going to use the 10 chapter version. Yeah. So by right, we should cover chapter 1 today, completely. Uh, so I have found a, a PDF, which is a commentary of it. Um, you don't want to know how many pages there are. Uh, 505 pages. way uh, is not a trivial one. It's not a trivial one. Uh, as I recall in the Avatamsaka Sutra, it says that in the, and that is the 81 classical version that we recite, or that we read during the Suilu Fahui. In one of the last few chapters, it goes on very voluminously yeah, into all the Merits all the qualities of the bodhisattvas, of how all bodhisattvas who aspire to Buddhahood will practice the ten practices of Samatha Vajra. And then, after very extensive, exhaustive uh, description on many sets of ten, then it goes on to say that uh, this is but a brief description. Yeah.
maybe you all can take down the title of this sub-commentary. There are quite a few sub-commentaries. Uh, this is just one of them that I found. Yeah. I will send out to you all other uh, reference that you can use for your reading. Yeah. It's called Guide to the Bodhisattva's Way of Life. Guide to the Bodhisattva's Way of Life. The Sanskrit term is Bodhicharya Vattara. Bodhicharya Vattara. I will write down later, but you can just write down the, the English uh, term Guide to the Bodhisattva's Way of Life. So English is called uh, Guide to the Bodhi Charaya Vaya. Uh, that's the Sanskrit term. Bodhi Charaya Vattara. Charaya Vattara. So in the prelude to the text itself, this is what it says. To embark on the reading, let alone the study of the Bodhicharya Vantara takes guts. Its 914 verses challenge every fiber in your body, every corner or of your mind, and when you complete the book, it leaves you feeling embarrassed that having your innermost thoughts and deeds spread out on a page in front of you. Yet, hope is a little brighter because the possibilities are infinite. Uh, yeah. Like many of the texts that are you know, very serious on the practice, uh, it, it demands of the person who, who is learning it to actually uh, take a good look at ourselves. Yeah. Now, there are 10 chapters all together. The first chapter is about establishing bodhicitta. Yeah. So it starts off with what is so good about bodhicitta, the benefits, uh, the merits of bodhicitta, yeah. what is the role it plays, uh, and how to cultivate that. Then chapter two uh, and three, yeah, chapter two goes into confession, yeah, and that's where uh, you will you'll be a, uh, an exercise of introspection. You bring out uh, the faults and dangers of uh, the mundane life in samsara uh, and the possible uh, evil and unwholesomeness that do exist in us. Uh, most people come to Buddhism with the thinking, ah, I'd like to overcome anger. Yeah? Uh, I'd like to overcome anger. Uh, most
most people don't come to Buddhism to overcome greed. Not initially, anyway. Yeah. Uh, anger is something that is um, that is unpleasant, both to us and to others. Yeah. Uh, it is with respect to painful experiences that we have anger. Whereas from greed, it is with respect to pleasant experiences. Yeah. So we want deep down inside, we want greed. Yeah. That's the whole definition of greed, want. Yeah. So uh, most people stop at the greed part, uh, stop at the anger part. Don't move on to the greed part.
commitment to the path. Yeah. Uh, this this chapter uh, is is not it's not simply about attending classes, although that is a very important start. Uh, but committed to it, regardless of the difficulties we may face, the challenges that may come our way. Uh, and not just for 10 weeks, uh, this is a 10 weeks uh, class, uh, it will end 30th December. Uh, oftentimes when students ask me in the course of like let's say 10 or 12 weeks, when students ask me, uh, can I uh, miss this class, how many classes can I miss? <laughs> or something like that uh, when they ask. And I'm like, well, I, I'm, I will still teach even if you don't come. But if you miss, you miss. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if you miss the class, you you miss out on the on the teaching. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Ten weeks is actually not too long, huh? Yeah. Uh, so. If we, if we can, uh, we should have the default uh, understanding that, yes, by default, I will attend this class. And I, I'm not talking about just this class. Any classes that you, you have signed up, yeah, the kind of commitment you should try to cultivate. Because if you can drop a class at the drop of the head, yeah, uh, then what else can you not drop? Will you not drop? Uh, because the Buddhist after path, or for that matter, what you must understand here when it says Buddhist after path, uh, I don't know about Bhante, uh, but for me, <laughs> uh, maybe in many ways I'm influenced by Bhante uh, because I stayed here for four years last time. So I'm a half, I'm a hybrid. <laughs> So I, I wear Mahana groups, but then I, I, I have a very strong um, inclination towards the Theravada Pali Canon. Bhante is behind. Uh, I don't talk behind people's back, I talk in front of them. <laughs> yeah. In the four years, I have seen for myself how while Bhante is as Theravada as it gets, but his, his openness to the different traditions is something that I sometimes don't see in even Chinese Mahana tradition. Yeah. In many ways, he, he speaks to me of Bodhisattva. Yeah. Not, not just because he invited me to give a talk here, then I say that. <laughs> yeah. So uh, when we look at this text, it seems to be just about Bodhisattva. Yeah. But I would say that anyone who aspires towards enlightenment yeah, should consider this text as a, as a, a guide, yeah, as a guide. And commitment in this case applies regardless of whether you want to attain to Arahanthood, to Pachika Buddhahood, or to Sammasambuddhahood. Yeah. Uh, it is something that is most important because it is not just 10 weeks. It's not just 10 years. It is not even just one life or 10 lives. 
line after line after line. Can you imagine the amount of difficulties you have to face at work? Yeah. And then you you multiply that over many lives. You consider how you yeah, like my late ordination teacher, you sometimes mention about this. This unfound path is arduous, it's difficult. Yeah. You, you try to, you think you are a Buddhist unfound, you want to go and help people. Yeah. <laughs> you got rubbish there. Huh? <laughs> Can you still look at them and say, ah, will you give up and help me? Chapter 4, uh, more, uh, more slowly, more inwards into the qualities. Awareness, developing awareness, we'll find out more about that. And then vigilance. Yeah. Uh, some of this, depending on the translation, uh, may seem to be quite like non-Buddhistic, huh? yeah, but it's more a matter of the translation. Yeah, because uh, what follows are actually the factors inside the uh, six parameter. Factors inside the six parameter. Uh, the first of the six parameter is not apparent here, yeah, but it's found within the text. In the other translation that I mentioned, where there's eight chapters, then the first chapter is on Bodhicitta, then in, the, in between is the sixth parameter, starting with giving, then precepts, then forbearance, then effort, concentration, and lastly, wisdom. Yeah, so, Chapter 1 on Bodhicitta, then 6 chapters on the Paramitas, and the last one uh, on dedication, yeah, on dedication towards the, the higher goal. So, in this case, we are going to use the 10 chapter version. Yeah. Uh, chapter 5, Vigilance, Vigilance on, on ourselves, yeah, uh, practice of self restraint. Chapter 7, then it becomes very apparent. On the kanti, uh, uh, the, the patience, yeah? on patience, kanti parmita. Yeah? Uh, there's a lot to to be mentioned. Yeah? Uh, this has some link to chapter three. Yeah? Chapter three is about commitment to the to the vows, the practices, and then this chapter, chapter seven, patience yeah? to have. Forbearance is the very quality that will help us through the practices. Uh, the next chapter, chapter 7, Heroic Perseverance, is what we usually translate as diligence or effort. Yeah, diligence or effort. Yeah. Chapter 8, Meditation, and chapter 9, Wisdom. I saw some reference texts that mentioned about how uh, chapter 9 on Wisdom it's also said to be a, uh, a text that is central in the Mayavika school. Uh, in other words, emptiness. So maybe we'll visit Laksa after all. Yeah. Throughout all these chapters, there'll be uh, a lot of parable. Yeah, and I think that's where the beauty is. The text itself is a whole series of verses. Yeah, verses after verses. And then lastly, chapter 10, dedication. 
Pitch 11. Yeah, Pitch 11 of yeah. this. Yeah, maybe you can call our Kai back. Uh. Should I call? Uh, Look for him.
I'm asking them not to rush you yeah, I just want to know who is still in the eye book. It's on, you have to Google? Okay. So, who else needs help? Who needs help? Anybody needs help?
Chai. The Han Sutra itself is a very short text, very short sutra, 260 characters. But the, the, the teaching on emptiness that it established is very deep and profound. So much so that uh, there are some who actually feel that it is not a text that should be uh, attended by beginners. Uh, in fact, it shouldn't even be taught trivially. Yeah. Uh, I have found that uh, there are some who indeed, uh, when they attend the Hasutra classes that I conduct in the past 10 years, uh, some of them do find it quite a bit of uh, quite heavy. Yeah. Uh, but a, a good number of them do find it heavy, uh, but digestible. Yeah. Uh, it is my wish that um, by sharing this, I like to reach what people usually perceive of the so-called Bodhisattva path. And when I say Bodhisattva path, it is not just the Mahayana Mahayana approach, but even in terms of uh, cultivation in all the different lineage, lineages, uh, there's, there's, there's often this uh, perception or thinking uh, that, oh, that is for someone who, who is very spiritually, you know, matured. Uh, and if I can bring it to one direct example, whole idea of, let's say, even taking refuge. Uh, there are people who hesitate, who think, who have this question, oh, I'm not pure enough, I cannot take refuge, I cannot observe the precepts, so I better don't do it first. Uh, my, uh, my, my take is, I think the, if, if the Heart Sutra classes is anything to go by, uh, it has helped many individuals, both beginners and those who have learned the text several times, to, to have a deeper appreciation of exactly <coughs> what they are asking. How can it be applied in our daily life? Yeah. Um, in this in this group that I share with weekly, and time and again, once a month, we cover the days of our vows. And in this period of time, we're covering the pure teachings. And there are many people who are like, oh, I'm not, you know, like, like yourself, what you mentioned, uh, they consider themselves to be beginners. And so some of them are apprehensive. Yeah. Uh, but what I do is I try to bring it down to earth and show the parallel that in the case of a Bodhisattva, they have very much faster responsibilities. But the principle of it can still be applied in our life. Because if you consider a Bodhisattva, the distinction between a Bodhisattva and us uh, is that they seek the removal of suffering of all sentiments. But it doesn't mean that we are not seeking that, isn't it? For us, uh, we are also trying to, to do that for our friends and family especially so for those who are dear to us. So in that aspect, the quality of a Bodhisattva is there. Uh, and then I find the relevance, and I hope that I'll be able to share that relevance with you all.
But do let me know if any time you, you feel that it is going over the head. Yeah. Um, I strongly encourage you and everybody to stop uh, me. Uh, raise your hand and then at the right time I will address the question. Okay, thank you. Thank you for the for the query. Uh, I, I I must say that it's I'm very glad that he asked this question, yeah. uh, because I think many of you may have this same question. Yeah. So I hope by now all of us have the text uh, downloaded in some ways. Yeah. So if you can refer to page 11. May the Supreme Bodhicitta, that is the four-line prayer, May the Supreme Bodhicitta that has not arisen, arise and grow. And may that which has arisen not diminish, but increase more and more. So, uh, in the Chinese translation, uh, it is called Ru Pusa Singlet. And in the poster, if you look at the main title, there's almost no reference to uh, the, the poster title has no reference to the text itself. Huh? Uh, what do we call it? Uh, living a loving and awakened life, huh? or awakening life, or awakened life. Uh, uh, this is the marketing cashier. <laughs> yeah, but actually, it, it, this is how I look at this text. Oftentimes, when we come into Buddhism, uh, if the, the first thing many of us come into touch with is the fall of maturity. Yeah. What exactly do we suffer over? What suffering is? What causes this suffering? What is the true end of suffering? And the path leading to the end of suffering. Yeah. Uh, and for some people, then they, they may even just bounce off with because well, first thing tell me about something. Yeah, I cannot take it. The other thing is the experience itself. That in many cases we are left with the idea that as we learn more and more Buddhism, then we should become more and more unfeeling. Yeah? And love lesser. Become detached. Yeah? Become uh, disconnected with people even better. Over the past 10 years since coming back, uh, perhaps in, the, in some ways in the past I also think that way. And perhaps that's what prompted me to just pluck off and go to the US. And back then, with no uh, no apparent intent on when I would come back. Yeah. Uh, but I realized that as I do the translation on Yogacara to Misashtra, I learned the various schools and lineages. I start to have a slightly different uh, attitude or, or perception of what the enlightened beings are. Yeah. They are not as uncaring or aloof as we may picture them. In fact, even in the Pali canon itself, you can see many instances where the Buddhas 
sheep disciples, they show much deep care and appreciation for one another. Yeah. Uh, they are not as as cold as sometimes we may think of uh, of Buddhism. Yeah. Hence the title, leading a loving. But if it's just loving, loving, where it's that is rooted in in feeling, feeling, that's also not how enlightened ones are. Uh, they don't just feel, feel, and then cry, cry, you know, and then, you know, yeah, no, they don't do that also. But their lovingness, their tenderness towards others, their care and concern is rooted, is founded on wisdom, hence the awakening part. Yeah. So, why well, I call it the marketing, marketing thing, uh, but it's, it's not a lie. But if you look at the second line of the title, uh, in the, not, not this PDF, uh, but in the poster, then I gave the rendering of the translation of the Chinese title, Wu Pusa Singlet, Entry into the Bodhisattva Practices. Yeah, entry into the Bodhisattva Practices. When we say entry, it should not mean that this is a trivial text. But as I mentioned earlier, that this should give us an appreciation that the Bodhisattva path, the way to Buddhahood, is so massive. Yeah. But what is so great about this massive task? Yeah. What is so great about Bodhicitta? Yeah. Let's explore. they have mastered, and to all their heirs, to all who merit veneration, I bow down. According to tradition, I shall now in brief describe the entrance to the Bodhisattva discipline. This is the starting verse, um, and it's a homage to uh, the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas who come before us and who will come after us. In many of the uh, puja and many of the uh, commentary, it starts off in this way as well. Uh, if you look at uh, many of the pujas or the Mahana tradition, it always starts with homage to not just triple gem, but listing uh, a huge number of Buddhas and Bodhisattvas. So much so that some of the Chinese Repentance Puja is named after the number of Buddhas. Yeah. So we have the, the Puja called uh, 88 Buddhas, uh, the, called the 1000 Buddhas, called the 10,000 Buddhas. Yeah. But actually, that is just the starting part. Yeah. The starting part. So, yeah. Next time I will want to show you 
the reference between the Chinese and the English translation. Uh, um, we can just stick with the English, yeah, but I, I always feel that having the translation of two different tracks can often give us a more comprehensive uh, appreciation. Now, uh, one thing I must also highlight, oftentimes the reference text that I pick, uh, I don't necessarily agree with every single part of it. Yeah. So, for example, on page 12, the Dharma they have mastered. So, here it says the omniscient mind understanding every single aspect of phenomena. Uh, I, I often cringe whenever I see the word omniscient found in Buddhism. Yeah. Uh, some, some argue that the word omniscient has many meanings. But typically when we say that someone is omniscient, it means all-knowing. Uh, but perhaps it's the degree of the knowing that we miss. You see, if, if the Buddha is all-knowing, meaning he knows everything that has to be known already, what is to happen in the future, absolutely the way it's to happen, then there is a philosophical question that is found in all religion, yeah, about how, in that case, would there be free will. If, for example, you coming here today is already to be known by the Buddha, not, not by us, but by the Buddha, it means it's already recorded in some ways. It means that it's just a show playing itself out. Yeah? It's like going for a movie. Yeah? Which is why at some point when I watch, I do, when I see you know, some films, I don't get so excited anymore at some point. Because you roughly know who is the main character, and the main character cannot die. They go through a lot of tribulation but will never die, no matter how bad it is. And usually in American films, the black guy would die first. <laughs> so it's true, you can watch Yeah. So this part, omniscient, uh, I'm a bit uh, hesitant to agree with this term. Yeah. Unless by omniscient, it means uh, there's, there's a definition that can still perhaps use this term, but it has a slightly different meaning. It means that the Buddha has knowledge of how all things are, yeah? but not, not a fixed uh, knowledge of the future, yeah? not a fixed knowledge of the future. So uh, if we look at this uh, quality of the Buddha in this way, yeah, then it, it will not contradict, or it will not have the philosophical problem of where is our free will. The reason why I mentioned about other religions is because in almost all religions, there's always the trio, the triple quality of all divine beings, omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent. Yeah. Uh, these are qualities which uh, may have slowly seeped in, they are creeped in into Buddhism over the centuries, yeah. but you cannot find these qualities uh, within the Nikayas. You know, the Buddha don't make such a claim to be everywhere, to be all known, and to be all powerful. Yeah. 
least of all, all powerful. Because if the Buddha is all powerful, then he could have just snapped his finger and make everybody enlightened. I mean, if I am all powerful, I would do that. I'm not, I'm not even very compassionate. I would do that as well. Just so that you are enlightened and you will not give me trouble. <laughs> you know? So if the Buddha is all powerful, I'm sure with his compassion, he would have snapped his finger three times just for good measure and make everybody enlightened. You know? yeah, so, um, likewise, this quality of omission. Yeah? So I disagree with this part of the text of the sub commentary. To all their heirs. So in the Chinese text, there's this wozi, yeah, literally, uh, child of the Buddha. Yeah. Uh, in a way, there's some reference of this in the text, yeah, the Pali canon, where, the, where his disciples are referred to as sons and daughters of the Buddha. Yeah. Sons and daughters of the Buddha. So, but in this case, what kind of sons and daughters? We know that the Buddha only had one son, Venerable yeah, Rahula. Yeah. So how can we be his son? Yeah. We are his spiritual sons and daughters. Yeah. In the Chinese tradition, uh, the, the, a, a disciple is literally yizi. Yeah, so that's a, a, a character that is child over there. Yeah, yizi. Yeah, so uh, the Buddha also gave description about how uh, the, the teacher should look upon the student just like a father towards a son. Yeah, and the disciple should look upon the teacher like a son towards the father. Yeah, so here refers to those who are spiritual as to the Buddha. The entrance to the Bodhisattva discipline refers to the practice of the six perfections of yeah, so the six perfections which I mentioned, uh, this is on page 13. So the first one is here you notice that the, the order is also different from what we find in the Chinese Mahana tradition. Yeah. Here I don't disagree uh, because it's just a different lineage. Yeah. So sometimes uh, some of the qualities or the sets, yeah, they are identical, they are exactly the same. But in the different schools, yeah, in the different schools, then the order may be slightly different. Yeah. In this case, the order is starting with morality, then generosity. Whereas in the Chinese tradition, we have uh, starting with generosity, then morality, patience, perseverance, concentration, and then wisdom. Yeah. Yeah. So, you will find that this text, although it's 10 chapters, it's, it's actually talking about the same thing. <clears throat> and we will explore uh, in due time, as we go through those chapters, how that is actually uh, relevant to our daily life as well. And, and to me, I, I like what my late ordination teacher once said. Uh, he said, uh, we have to be protective towards those who are newcomers. Uh, the exact word he used is not newcomers, of course, he don't speak English. The only two English words that I hear him say is yes and no. <laughs> uh, he, he used the Chinese words, too uh, passing. I mean, someone who has just arouse the, the heart to practice, to learn. Yeah. Uh, or in the, in the schema of uh, Mahayana teachings will be uh, a new 
Saffron, who had aroused Bodhicitta. Uh, Bodhicitta, the, the, the mindset, the heart, the wish, the aspiration to attain Buddhahood in order to liberate all sentient things. And what does it mean to attain Buddhahood? To want to be, to bring ourselves to this level of maturity of, of development such that we can be of real help towards others. We want to be of help to others, don't we? Yeah. Both to our friends and family, and sometimes to our colleagues, sometimes. Yeah. Uh, those colleagues, colleagues who, are, who are getting all the bonuses and promotion don't need our help. Yeah. <laughs> but for Buddhists, no, they want to help everybody. So for us, we also have those qualities, but not brought to perfection yet. Not brought to perfection yet. So, um, <clears throat> As we as we learn this text, you will find that uh, yeah, there are actually a lot of parallels, uh, a lot of parallels. Even as we uh, we define that uh, my my teacher sorry my, my teacher's statement about the two fast because there's a twist to it. As he mentioned, uh, two fasting, I was newly ordained, so I was. Uh, Master is so kind, you know. Uh, tell tell them you must take care of the new, you know, practitioner. Yeah, talking about me, though. You better take care of me, though. Yeah, and in many lineages, they talk about this uh, example of how those that has just started on the path, it is like a like having a small candle flame. Yeah, uh, you need a lot of protection, but once it has become strong enough have a very strong torch. Yeah, you can go out into the wind without fear. Yeah. Uh, so uh, the twist here is my late ordination teacher, he said, those of us who have not reached first stage Buddhisattva path yeah, are all considered too fasting. <laughs> are considered beginners. Are considered to have just started. that I was <laughs> yeah. because although at that point in time uh, I was newly on it yeah, but there's this tiny guy up there that, that feels let uh, down for so many years you know for now on it uh, you feel you know uh, then I when I hear his definition time and again whenever he he, he share and he define concepts what blow you away just when you thought, wow, you are, you know, you are learned and whatsoever, then he tell you, no, no, no. If you have not attained even the first stage of Buddhist path, you are still, you are, you are just uh, a newcomer. <laughs> just a newcomer. Yeah, so don't worry. Uh, we are all newcomers here. I don't know about you, are a newcomer. <laughs> Any non-newcomer? After this, let me know. Uh, then I can ask you the question. Okay, so um, on to pitch. Continue with the pitch. So, entrance to the Buddhisattva discipline, referring to the practice of the six perfection. 
if we were to just look at this, these six qualities in brief, and just by its mere English terms, yeah, without going to all the, the Buddhist nuances, yeah, uh, you'll find that these are qualities that applies to all of us. If you ask yourself, would you like to associate with someone who is immoral? Say no. Of course no. Yeah. Uh, let, me, let me bring that one notch higher. Would you like to see your own child or your own nieces and nephew associate with someone who is immoral? The answer would be even more resounding no. For ourselves, maybe we may think, no problem, huh? I am calm enough, I am jaded enough, I am uh, streetwise enough. Yeah. But if you ask yourself, how about your young child or your nieces and nephew? Yeah. You would quite readily yeah, say no. You wouldn't want them to be exposed to someone who is immoral. In which case, then you consider yourself. Yeah. Why should you be? one of immoral uh, character. Now, the context here is uh, that of a Bodhisattva, trying to be a, someone who is a Bodhisattva. I've shared in other classes before the whole concept of a Bodhisattva uh, with, in relation to uh, the question of being a vegetarian. Now, first of all, I'm not suggesting that you all have to be vegetarian in order to attend this class, okay? Tibetans for the longest time are not vegetarian. Yeah. But this question often come up with regards to the Buddhist path. So I shared this. If you consider those who are uh, will activists, yeah. uh, this one example I always like to give because the will activists, they will take small speedboats and go against the big whale uh, trawlers, yeah, those whaling ships. Whaling ships are huge because you need to pull in the whole whale, you know. Whales are not small fishes, they are huge. So then, huh? They are not the fish, they are mammals actually. Yeah, you are right, <laughs> they are mammals and they are huge. So the the whaling uh, boats, yeah, whaling ships, they need to be very huge. So imagine if you are one of those real activists in a small bus boat. Yeah, I've seen documentaries where they actually pilot their bus boat and smash into the big ship, you know, yeah, just to protest and to sort of like create a, 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 an accident so that they have to stop their whaling. Uh, Long time ago, when I see that, I always like, like, why can't you just you know go through the proper channel? <laughs> like that's wrong, you know. But then over the years, I start to look at them and I'm like, wow, you know, you have to really give it to some of these armor, you know. Hello, <laughs> Desmond. <laughs> yeah, it's quite amazing. I see people who are passionate about trees and they, they tie themselves, they they chain themselves to the trees that. You know, that's at the perimeter of the forest that they are, that companies are going to just cut off. You know? These people are so passionate, they are willing to die for the cause. Now imagine if one of these whale activists 
is found to eat real sushi. It would be quite a joke, isn't it? Or how about if you find Louis going to China? Okay, I, I will not say, even say that. But let's say there's someone who is a dog lover. Would you find a dog lover going to China for a meal of dog meat? No, right? Impossible. It will be a joke. So what is this link to someone who is a bodhisattva? A bodhisattva is not a dog activist. It's not a real activist. It's a sentient being activist. This is how I look at it now. Is a Bodhisattva is someone who champions for the for the happiness, true happiness, no less, you know, uh, much more actually, for all sentient things. Yeah. And so it's on that basis that I say, for someone who gradually become committed to this path, then it becomes harder and harder for them to consume anything that is of those sentient things that they are the very sentient thing seek their welfare. Now, the link with what we are talking about here is while we are not, uh, we may not be quite there yet, yeah, as our, uh, what's your name, I'm sorry? I keep, my name is Louis. Louis, ah, okay. As Louis mentioned earlier, you know, he, he, he's very humble. He says that he's a beginner. Scully, he do diploma course and that. <laughs> Yes, sir. No, no, no. <laughs> okay. yeah. uh, the reference here is while we may feel that oh I'm not a Buddhist yeah. So we are not a champion or an activist of all sentient beings yet. Yeah, but again, surely we champion for the happiness, for the welfare and benefit of those who are dear to us for a start. Isn't it? Yeah. So likewise in that case, then uh, we should, for a start, be an example of someone who is of uh, upright moral character. Now the rest of the qualities uh, we will explore in, in detail and you will find it. Uh, and perhaps I want you all to think about it also and to consider how is that relevant to our life. I will definitely give and share with you some examples. And this text itself has, has a lot of parables. The challenge is always how to apply. Yeah. In school, we learn arithmetics, but the teacher don't give you all the numbers to, that you can add. Yeah. You learn the principle, and then you apply it to any numbers that's given to you. Yeah. So the next, the next verse, verse two, this part is very interesting. What I have to say has all been said before, and I am destitute of learning and of skill with words. I therefore have no thought that this might be of benefit to others. I write it only to sustain my understanding. When I uh, when I started the translation with my Dharma brother uh, on the Yukachara Bhutanashram, there are hundred chapters and my teacher spent seven years teaching very regularly on a weekly basis, uh, no, four times.
times a week. Yeah, he spent seven years and only covered the first 50 chapters, the foundation stages. So when we started off on that, we, we picked one of the chapter, the actualization of cultivation. And the reason is not because it's the easiest, but because we felt that that was the most relevant to what we were trying to do. And so when some people ask us, hey, did you get it like approved by some central body of translation, you know? I say, uh, no. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I recall in our, our briefings, we wrote something similar to that. <laughs> so when I read this, uh, it is it is with uh, somewhat mixed feeling. Well, how do I put it? Yeah, in a way I can understand what must have gone through, but I don't dare to compare myself with Shanti Deva Bodhisattva. Uh, in that, yeah, some people ask me why, you know, like I don't write more regularly on my blog. Yeah, because. I, and my reply is always, I don't know what to write. Because everything that has that I, I can think of, I think somebody would have written about it already. Yeah, so unless something really peculiar happens, then I write. And this is what the text is saying. And most importantly, that uh, he don't claim to be the author of what is being written. He's basically saying, whatever he, he has to say, he learned it from his teachers, who in turn learn it from the Buddha. That all these are the wisdom of the enlightened ones who have come before us. And to me that is so beautiful, so precious. Yeah. I have time again shared with some of you about how online we see a lot of uh, uh, these nice pictures with the Dalai Lama's photo, with uh, the Buddha's photo, then citations, quotations, but with no proper, you know, references. Yeah, uh, that is the opposite. Giving, uh, uh, sort of, uh, creating so-called a citation, but without proper citation actually. Then there are those who do the opposite, which is they they give the teachings which is based on what the Buddha taught, but don't actually do it. So it is their own discovery. Yeah. You know, this is right at the, at the front. It's like a disclaimer <laughs> telling everybody. Well, first of all, I'm, 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 I'm not claiming this to be an, uh, an original text that I'm writing from scratch. Yeah. Whatever I, I can possibly write uh, is actually taught by the Buddha's I'm just sort of like um, writing this to help myself write this. I, I <laughs> you don't even know whether it can be of help to others. I remember uh, my teacher, my late ordination teacher, and my Dharma brothers, they would keep on telling us in Chinese, 不要好为人师. Don't be too eager to teach others. Don't be so delightful in teaching others. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
then to say, oh, this this will benefit all mankind for the welfare and benefit of all. You know, let it be passed on for generations and generations to come endlessly. <laughs> yeah, there's so much humility. Now, do, do not be mistaken thinking that, oh, wow, chalat, ah. Why are we starting on this text? Even the author is not sure. <laughs> it's not to be seen that way. It is that he has such humility. <coughs> but the last line, I wrote it only to sustain my understanding. Uh, the last line here, I wrote it only to sustain my understanding. Uh, many years ago, I shared this with my father. Uh, because my father is a prolific reader. He reads a lot. Yeah. Uh, and he is, there's one verse that is so full of grace. Yeah, the four opening verses in all Chinese Mahana Sutra that is, in a way, enforced by Zetian, <laughs> the Kai Jing Ji, yeah, the opening verses of sutras. Wu Shang Shen Shen Wei Miao Fa, Bai Tian Wan Jie Nan Zhao Yi, Wo Jing Jian Wen De Shou Chi, Yan Jie Ru Lai Zhen Shi Yi. So he, he, he will recite the English verses. I'm not going to even try to translate on the fly, uh, unless I don't give it uh, proper service. But the gist of it is that um, the, to have the right attitude towards learning the teaching. Yeah. And I shared this with my father. Yeah, because as much as he's so proud of this, you know, because I think he's very proud of the Chinese, so he's like, well, you know, these verses are from the Wu Zetian, you know. Whoa, this is not just some ordinary folks, you know. <laughs> and I'm like, ah, it's always great about that. But he will hide, he harping on it. Then, but then, I realized that he may not fully, okay, uh, appreciate the, the meaning here, yeah, because the opening verses, uh, at some point, I had reservation about it, but over time, I start to have a, an appreciation of it, because it has similar link to this, yeah, the attitude that one of the. The, the underlying attitude about the four verses is how should you approach a text? For what purpose do you read a text? In this case, a sutra or a commentary. It is so that you can understand the deep, profound meaning. For what purpose? Of course, to attain enlightenment. The Shantideva Bodhisattva wrote it for what? To sustain my understanding. We should take this as, as a model for ourselves, as, as a motivation, that as we learn this text, we don't learn it for just mere knowledge, we learn it for an understanding. And if we can reference the earlier uh, verses, we learn it so that we can enter into the Bodhisattva practices bring ourselves closer to my dare say perfection of the perfections uh, the sixth paramita verse 3 my faith will thus be strengthened for a little while 
that I, may, I might grow accustomed to this virtuous way. But other who now chance upon my words may profit also equal to myself in fortune. Yeah. So it is not just to sustain that understanding. Yeah. It shouldn't just be an intellectual exercise. Huh? But my faith will thus be strengthened for a little while. Again, yeah. you don't dare to say, oh, by writing this text, my faith shall last a hundred kappa. <laughs> yeah. But just even just for a little while, he's willing to put in so much time to write this treatise. <laughs> My goodness. Yeah. Whereas for, for many people, uh, we offer the Buddha three oranges, then we expect uh, <laughs> what I'm going to give to be. <laughs>
So it is not something that is just found in the Tibetan tradition, but in all Buddhist lineages. There's this emphasis that the human rebirth is precious and most suitable for enlightenment. And why? Because the lower realms is filled with suffering. This is just in brief. Huh? The lower realms, uh, hell beings, ghosts and animals, So, uh, not easy for beings in these lower realms to uh, have the capacity to practice. Yeah. If not, then even if for animal realms where uh, they are not naturally always suffering, then their, their capacity to, to, to hear the Dharma, to actually uh, discern, yeah, is not always present yeah, and often like. I say not always present and often lacking because the Buddha in his past life has shown that even when he was reborn as an animal, he was able to show greater discernment and compassion than many human beings. Now, unless you think that, oh, this is just part of the Jataka stories, you know, just a story, you'll find on YouTube uh, a lot of um, videos how animals care for one another and many times even beyond species. Yeah. I remember this video of a dog helping another dog that was knocked down on the highway and the dog risking his own life, yeah, going to, to just hand to the, to the dog that is knocked down yeah, and then slowly when it's safe, shift it to the side yeah, and according to the, the person who made the video, uh, highlighted now eventually got sick and recovered. Beyond uh, the same species kind of help, there are also videos about uh, what was that? A duck. The duck had its own food, yeah, the, the feet. And then somehow the duck, instead of just eating its own feet, yeah, is near to, near to the pond, the duck went and feed the fish. <laughs>
so hard to find such ease and wealth. Yeah. So here, ease and wealth is not about uh, having uh, having a lot of money. Yeah. yeah. Here, this is about having the potential for enlightenment as a human being. As a human being. If now I fail to turn it to my profit, how could such a chance be mine again? Buddha in the Nikayas highlighted uh, this in this uh, in this parable yeah, or metaphor uh, should be parable. He says, uh, imagine if there's a blind turtle swimming in the ocean, and once every hundred years the turtle, the blind turtle, should surface. Now imagine if at the same time there's a wooden ring called a yoke that's floating around in the ocean. And in that 100 years, once a 100 years, when the turtle, the blind turtle, should surface, that is able to have its head go through the wooden ring. That is how rare a precious human weaver is. And then to encounter the Buddha Dharma and be able to practice. And that's how rare it is. Very interesting way to to present the odds. Instead of telling you it's zero point zero 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 three five percent, it doesn't give you the exact percentage. But it describes it this way, and then you then you go and think yourself how how long it takes. There's uh, this huge population uh, growth. Uh, there are those who ask this question: Where did all these new human beings come from? Yeah. Uh, then there are those who ask a further question: If it's so rare, then how come there's so much human beings? Yeah. Uh, the rareness is in reference to the lower. First of all, in the Buddhist worldview, we are it's not that only human beings can be born as human beings. Yeah. Beings of any realm can be reborn in any other realms. Yeah. Uh, what determines the hosting? Uh, it is the uh, merit and demerit, yeah, the karma if you will, yeah, that was planted. Uh, to be fair, uh, this doesn't give you a quantity attempts a qualitative uh, explanation uh, because I cannot show you uh, actually now we have how many billion already? six to seven billion human yeah. I cannot tell you uh, so uh, in the past 100 years uh, population has doubled or tripled 
this amount of sentient beings, one third is from the heavenly realms and they have expired, and then two third is from, I can't tell you that, from, uh, but uh, I can only say that in terms of the, the world schema that Buddhism has, uh, our rebirth is not within a realm. Yeah, so this, in a way, accounts for it, uh, but not in of what we have learned yeah, through hearing 
as knowledge and what we have contemplated and arrived at as an understanding. But through our own cultivation and we observe and observe and again and again to the point where we go beyond any doubt. Yeah? We remove every shred of doubt that you know it is otherwise. But you have verified to that degree that the Buddha's teaching is aligned with the with reality. Then you're convinced that the Buddha is the Buddha was really speaking the truth. And when it's so internalized, yeah, in Hokkien we say Sisim. <laughs> and because a lot of the teachings like you if when you are attending the, the, the teachings on the Four Noble Truth, you'll find that the first two, the first three, is quite common sense. Yeah, it's quite common sense. But then there's this little guy or little girl in our in our mind that is not very convinced. Yeah. And it's like really man. <laughs> And, and it's, it's normal, you know. Until you're enlightened, the little guy will not shut up. The little girl will always have the question mark. And it's okay. Yeah. And so, I totally forgot what you asked us now. I was just saying that then uh, I am, we are all at risks of ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yes. again. Yeah. yeah, so, correct. So, uh, even if you are not fully enlightened yet, the Buddha has said that if a person has been practicing and verifying uh, and, and going in, in the wholesome way, and I, that's why I bring in that it's not just about being a Buddhist, yeah, but it's about being in line with reality and being wholesome. Yeah. Then uh, it doesn't mean that oh, it's a matter of chance. Uh. When the Buddha gave the example, he don't mean to say that, oh, it's a matter of chance, wheel of fortune, wheel of life. Oh, sorry, hell, that's meant bye-bye. <laughs> yeah. What determines what you can be born as yeah, is determined by ourselves. So, uh, when the Buddha gave this illustration that this chance is so slim, it's because the chance of people practicing is so slim. About it, Singapore, five point something million people. How many people? I don't mean that we must have uh, 1.5 million people in Buddhist library attending this class. But if you add up all the Buddhists who are attending classes every single week, do we even have 150,000? That's 10% only, no? We don't. Do we even have 15,000 every week running around attending classes? No. Now, maybe, maybe, I don't know, 2,000? a lot, you know. And that's only because Wu Zi accounts for about uh, a few hundred. <laughs> yeah. Wu Zi has, has, uh, has classes every single day, you know, on one of the commentary texts. So, uh, keep this in mind. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I look at this, this part of the verse not as a, like, you know, harassment or dogma like what so, if now I fail to tell it to my prophet, how could such a chance be mine again? Yeah. And that will, that will still be true, isn't it? Yeah. Because we are reaping the results. In Buddhism, we say, as a human being, we are reaping the results of past wholesomeness. Yeah. But this result doesn't assure you of reaping the results. 
a person were to live their life in a wholesome way, in a humane way, in a human way, live like a human, then, and when I say live like a human, it doesn't mean nasty and all those things, uh, but to be wholesome, moral, and so on. Uh, then, future life, we are sure, as a human being, as a, not even just a human being, you can even be reborn in a heavenly realm if you so wish. also highlight heavenly realm in Buddhism, we don't uh, sort of like put it as a superior goal. Why? Because uh, in the heavenly realm, the amount of pleasure and, and enjoyment is so overwhelming, most people get overwhelmed by it and forget about the practice. Yeah. And then high chance that you just use up all your positive merit and then boom, around in samsara in the lower realms for a while. Yeah. Then, uh, so in Buddhism, we say that the human rebirth is uh, most uh, comparatively most suitable, most conducive for enlightenment. Because you have a bit of a taste of suffering. So you can understand the teachings. Yeah. And that's the impetus, the motivation to be free of suffering. But yet the suffering is not so overwhelming that you get impaled by it. Yeah. You still have a bit of the reader's <sighs> face. And at the same time, have enough intellect. Now there are those who are born human, but do not have the capacity. Yeah. So in the various texts, there's highlight of this also. Not all human beings are fully formed in their brain. Yeah, with all the qualities and As when a flash of lightning rends the night, and its and it its glare shows all that the dark black clouds have hidden. Likewise, rarely through the Buddha's power, such as thoughts arise, brief and transient in the world. And this description uh, again it reminds me of my teacher's uh, quote about how the Buddha describe samsara uh, as a long dark night. A long dark night. When there's no Buddha and Dharma, it's long compared to the period when there's Buddha Dharma. Now there's still Buddha Dharma. Yeah. Uh, as in the, the, the teachings. But rightly speaking, no more Buddha. Other world and future. Uh, there will come a point where uh, there's only the form but no true uh, cultivators of those who attain enlightenment. And there will come a point in time where if only like the few that So the Buddha arising in the world, and I, I don't, you don't need 
just Sakyamuni Buddha. Yeah. But past Buddhas, the Buddha, Sakyamuni Buddha, and future Buddhas as well. Whenever they arise in the world, it is like when over a long time there's just long dark, darkness, and then suddenly the, the sun breaks free yeah, and then shines forth. Or someone just brings in the torch and suddenly everything is clear. A description. The torch of the sun represents wisdom, yeah. uh, clarity, knowing, seeing. So the same parallel can be seen here. As when a flash of lightning rends the night. So can you can you imagine the whole night is dark? Then suddenly there's a lightning flash. In that instant you can see things, but it's over in that instant. That's how precious the Dharma is. Don't think of course we even our lives spent in the fields. No, uh, when I was young, there's the the temple, I don't know now we are twenties or thirties or forties or sixties, it's still there. You know, next time I'll try again. <laughs> you never know. Uh, you never know. Singapore is a very young nation, 51 years old. Yeah. Uh, the, the house that my students stayed in in Italy is 200 over years old. <laughs> when I asked them about how old the building is, and they told me, I was like, oh, that's very old. Then suddenly it dawned on me. <laughs> that's older than my country. Yeah. And back when I visited them, Singapore was only 40 plus years old. Oh, Singapore is very good. Come back again. Who knows? We come back and no more Singapore. <laughs> it might be different. Yeah. Maybe just Singapore without Buddhism. Okay. worldly good, we don't deny that. In fact, the Buddha, as part of the gradual path, also teaches that. But uh, if you just practice worldly good, then you are still stuck in samsara. Still stuck in samsara. You practice precepts, you can get reborn in the heavenly realms, but still stuck in samsara. You practice meditation without the wisdom path, you are still stuck in samsara. Still stuck in 
mighty Buddhas pondering for many ages have seen that this and only this will save the boundless multitudes and bring them easily to supreme joy. And this is referring to Bodhicitta. In a way, we can look at Bodhicitta here as two levels. One is the aspiration to attain awakening. First level. So this first level is your own awakening. A second level of Bodhicitta would be what in my tradition is called Great Bodhicitta, Ta'a Bodhicitta. I used to think, why is it that in my in this lineage, we always want to put the, the, the prefixing with great. Everything also put great. Does it make it greater just by putting a prefix great? You know, you can find the word Bodhicitta inside the Pali also. But then, you know, why everything must put a great? In the Pali Canon, you can find the word compassion, you know, karuna. And in the Mahanatha, great compassion. Yeah, it's as though you, if you prefix it by great, then it becomes greater. Uh, affirmation. <laughs> affirmation. Uh, the second level is great by virtue of the fact that it is not just awakening for oneself. That you strive for awakening in order to awaken all sentient things. There's a parable of the Bodhi tree, which I will go into uh, as we proceed to the next. And it talks about the relation between the fruit of Buddhahood with sentient things. A beautiful parable that can be found inside the Avatamsaka Sutra. Yeah, and talking about which, yeah, uh, I just received the Avatam Saka Sutra, the Chinese version, super heavy from this Tiesen Pastor. Yeah, I'm going to cover the first 20, 25 chapters of course. In the past three years, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm thankful to my husband uh, for the past three years uh, for, for the Swilu Parmen because uh, if not, I wouldn't have. I mean, me, you know, it's me, you know. You think I'll, I'll be so hardworking to go and read it? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, if there's a mark that you can find who is not hardworking, it's me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, because of the Zulu Bahrain, for one whole week, we have to go there and eat, and then, you know, many hours until in the evening. Yeah, and because I read so slowly, I read until the very last, sometimes the very last session. And the other venerables, uh, they actually, I didn't know how fast they finished. And then on the very like second last day, I tell one of them, wow, I'm left with 10 pages. I, like, I, I say this not with pride, but like just to get affirmation from, from, from them, they're my senior. Then they smile and look at me and they say, the rest they have, they have mostly finished by Wednesday. Yeah. <laughs> it was Friday that I tell them. They said, most of us finished by Wednesday. One of them finished on Tuesday. He's reading the second time the 20 chapters. <laughs> so, the other day I was reflecting, ah, you end Sulu Yeah. So I, I'm going to read the first 20 chapters. And I thought, yeah, I'm very grateful to my teacher, the Abbot, 
Our thumbs are concentrated. Because in the past few years, I was assigned to that call. And because of that, I, I get a chance to be fully committed to read 20 chapters at a time. And so I covered 60 chapters, the last 60 chapters. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's how I got to know about uh, the, this parable of the holy tree. That's all we will cover today. We will stop at uh, chapter 1, uh, page 17. We have uh, 490 over pages to go. <laughs> <laughs>